box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Derek Dyson and then Willem van Denderen for our podcast spun-off from the main show where we go through our highlights of the past week, the teams, the moments and plenty more. Boys, there is an absolute poultice of football news. Obviously, uh, as the Premier League wraps up, we've got the A-League Men's Grand Final. We've got some of the other major European competitions. The Women's uh, uh, World Cup is not far away. But uh, look, I think you got in early, Derek, um, this week and, uh, and got the game of the week I found a good one myself, but uh, I'm going to let you come off the long run. And uh, and the uh, the game of the week uh, was uh, well, I won't spoil it. I'll let you go with it. My game of the week was Bayern Munich versus uh, Cologne or Cologne, uh, as they're called. And, and this game was just absolutely so significant. Obviously, from the Bundesliga point of view, just to recap for our listeners, the, the Bundesliga went to the final game of the season. Uh, it was in. Um, Dortmund's hands, all they had to do was win and the title was theirs. Um, Bayern uh, managed to go a goal up that a win would only do for them and hope that uh, Dortmund would drop points. Um, and it was uh, Bayern went 1 0 up, got pegged back, and then English born, now German international Jamal Masiala was a brilliant winner for Bayern. <clears throat> all the while, Dortmund were losing 2 0 to Mainz before Schuler managed to get an equaliser deep, deep, deep into injury time. They had just about enough time to put the ball back on the spot, and all the Bayern players are watching the game on a phone on the pitch before they all just start punching the air and sprinting towards their travelling fans in Cologne uh, over in the far corner of the, the ground there. So uh, unbelievably, um, uh, Tuchel will, did deliver eventually the title for... Bayern, it's uh, another title for them, 11 uh, in a row. An absolute devastation for, uh, for, for for Dortmund. Jude Bellingham, a player we've been keeping a close eye on, and others. And Bayern have already been pretty ruthless. Uh, Sally Hamazic, uh, who was the sporting director, he's gone. CEO Oliver Kahn, the great goalkeeper, he's gone. Tuchel will keep his job for now, but, but clearly it didn't have the impact either in the Champions League or even in the league until this final weekend. Um, and, yeah, it's, it was just a, just madness, really. I think we all would have loved to see Dortmund uh, get over the line. It wasn't to be and buy and do what they always do and they uh, just keep on marching, guys. So uh, that is my game of the week, sensational yeah. stuff. It was amazing, and if you haven't watched it, just just jump onto YouTube and have a look at the highlights. Uh, um, the fact that that Dortmund game was at home as well, and and you could just feel the palpable tension in that stadium as uh, as they went down and as they came back, and then you you know like watching the the, the Bayern fans. Um, in, in the small corner of the screen uh, reacting and the, the players, of course, it was uh, really quite incredible. Uh, for me, the game of the week, I was sort of tossing the coin between the promotion playoff, uh, um, heartbreaking for Coventry City um, and uh, um, and just the, the most incredible news for, for Luton Town. But uh, it's not the game that I've, I've settled on. Um, it is the top flight. So the jeopardy we all knew was removed from the title fight before the, the final round. Um 
yeah, there was some uncertainty around the minor European places, but the real attention for the final match day was, of course, the prim- the relegation battle. Southampton, the only club guaranteed to drop. They fought it out. I know Willem's going to talk about them at some point during this show, but the three-weight fight between Leicester, Leeds and Everton was, was absolutely gripping uh, leading into that final day. Uh, so for me, the game of the week ended up being Everton and Bournemouth. So Everton were the only one of the three that had their fate in their own hands. Um, Leeds caved in pretty early. Sam Allardyce's uh, tenure ended up securing only one point. So they were off the table um, within minutes of Tottenham Hotspur uh, uh, taking the field against them. So all the toffee eyes and ears were on the action at the King Power where the Foxes could only win then hope and pray that the cherries had secured them a lifeline. And what a heart-stopping afternoon it ended up being. It was an outstanding opening goal by Harvey Barnes, a beautiful give-and-go. Put Leicester on that path to safety 34 minutes in. Now, Everton threw the kitchen sink at Bournemouth in the first half, but they just couldn't get past Mark Travers either side of halftime. He was just immense. Um, could have conceded uh, late, uh, but for an inch of leather uh, late in the half, and Bournemouth could have gone into the halftime break 1-0, but they had to sweat through halftime knowing that Leicester had already, already gone up, then through the early stages, and then the lid blew off Goodison when Abdullah Decore slammed home what ended up the winner from range 12 minutes into the second half to guarantee. Now, the stats look like this. It's their 70th consecutive season in the top flight and their final one at Goodison Park. So it will be in the Premier League. Jordan Pickford was immense as well. And credit to Sean Dyche before his arrival. Uh, Everton had only 15 points um, since then, uh, despite what was their worst ever home tally of 16 goals. Um, he, they managed 21 points under Dyche. So uh, nil all at the break. He reorganised the team. He, he, he just told them to stay calm and keep playing. And I love this from Henry Winter. The fans um, were incredible in the stands. Magnificent, steadfast and vocal in their support during the tense afternoon. Emotions lifted up and dragged down, stretched and tested until finally they left elated and exhausted. Now, we know the club's a mess off the field. The board haven't been to a game since January. There's talk of money coming in from New York, whether it's a takeover or investment, but they'll be a mess in the top flight and they'll have a chance to move to their sparkling new Mersey side home at Bramley Moor Dock in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, just an incredible final day and, uh, and just to watch it all play out in the middle of the night, our time with results changing uh, live in front of you was uh, yeah that for me was an incredible match uh, uh, and game of the week. I had a bit of sympathy for them last year, Derek, but I think they slept through that wake up call and found themselves in the exact same spot again. So do you feel they you know I mean they played the games out on the pitch, the points are the points, but did they deserve to stay up? Would it not have been from a neutral perspective maybe Leicester who deserved the lifeline uh, in terms of having a poor season, but getting the chance to sort themselves out in the top flight? Is it, is it going to be any different for Everton next season? No, I don't think any of them deserved to stay up. I mean, it was almost like it was just that Everton just happened to have a couple more points at the end of the season. And, you know, they didn't go on some amazing run like we've seen in the past to stave off um, relegation. And they're all bad. Leeds, obviously, is a, a bin fire of a, uh, a club at the moment. Leicester, you know, to be honest, if you... I'm with Gary Lineker. Uh, he came out and said that you know, nine years ago, if they'd been offered when they got promoted, been offered to win the Premier League, win the FA Cup, play in the Champions League and, and do what they've done, uh, he would have taken it. And this is just Leicester reverting to the mean, maybe a little bit below the mean because they managed to raise it up. But this is just Leicester returning to the mean um, after years of 
over delivery. And yes, Everton, the only thing Everton got right was getting rid of Frank Lampard and having the bottle to go and get Sean Dyche and looking through and looking past some of the, um, you know, negativity around him and his style of football. Um, and ultimately, he was the guy that, as Rob said, kept them calm on the day. It was tense there, particularly when Harvey Barnes scored. I was watching it in the middle of the night when my family is sick. So I was up tending sick family and I was watching this game and uh, people with hands on their mouths, hand, heads in their hands. But what an absolutely superb goal by Decore. And he, he's been a factor. Um, he's dragged them out of this, really, with his kind of energy intensity driving that team forward. So probably on the balance of things, Leicester, uh, Everton just about deserved it, but but barely. And as you said, Willem, there's a lot of work to do. My nomination is Southampton. Although they're going down, that's how you do it, for all. Um, <laughs> St Mary's packed two goals from Kamaldine Solomana in the sunshine, or Solomana. I don't think he scored a goal this season, so we threw in a few backflips to uh, celebrate as well. They were in a pretty jovial mood, despite the fact that they were going down. Um, and I think it's been a... I won't say great, but it's been a very, very good decade for, for Southampton in the Premier League. And if you think back um, right to the start when they got promoted to great sides under Maurizio Pochettino, uh, there were also a couple of 9-0 hammerings under the Alpine Klopp, Ralph Hasenhutl. Uh, not many managers get done 9-0 twice and managed to hang around. So that was entertaining uh, to a fair extent. Uh, and I think the other takeaways for me will be, obviously, James Ward-Prowse's free kicks. Uh, And then their ability to, and I don't say this in a a disparaging way, but their ability to get the most out of sort of of middle-of-the-road strikers uh, and, and yeah, get their prime years out of them. Shane Long, Charlie Adam, Danny Ings, Graziano Pella. uh, That is the uh, the stereotypical or archetypal Southampton player uh, for me through that decade in the Premier League. Yeah, no, well said, mate. It was an incredible game. Both sides could have won it in the end, but uh, it was uh, was a great farewell for Saints uh, as they as they uh, take the drop and um, and Liverpool really there was nothing to play for, but they they at least uh, you know stood up and um, and fought to to the bitter end. So uh, nice farewell for for Bobby Firmino and a a couple of others. He scored a goal um, for for uh, the Reds too. So um, yeah, I think uh, fair call on that one. Um, I'm going to go. uh, Sorry, I think I said Charlie Adam instead of Charlie Austin there. Oh, good, mate. I think, um, you know, we all uh, sort of uh, make those small errors from time to time, mate. So uh, that's cool. Uh, but um, I'm going to go with my team of the week and coming back home um, ahead of the grand final. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed listening to, to your discussion with Nick Montgomery last week. So Central Coast Mariners, um, and uh, as I was preparing some notes, I couldn't go past Vince Regari's excellent article in the Sydney Morning Herald to set the scene. So I, I, I recommend that if you're listening, uh, look for Vince's article. He, he, he really sets it up beautifully. I'm just going to give you the sort of the snapshot here. Um, he wrote, um, it's been 1,723 days since Usain Bolt played football here. Almost five years since what we can look back on now with the benefit of hindsight as not a brilliant marketing game, but perhaps the lowest moment in the colourful 18-year history of the Mariners. So drunk was this club on cheap gimmicks that they even fudged the crowd figure that night, brazenly claiming that 9,958 people, a nod to Bolt's world record 100 metres time of 9.58 seconds, which was also the number he wore on his back, turned up for a meaningless friendly to see him debase their colours and by extension, the A-League and Australian soccer at large. For so long, the Mariners were a joke, and an unfunny one at that. 
that development pipeline that once produced soccerers such as Matty Ryan, Miller Yedinak and Tom Rogic dried up as they slumped to four wooden spoons in five miserable seasons, losing touch with their supporters along the way. So, guys, this Saturday night, um, they have, they're coming off a, a record home crowd a week ago. They finished second on the ladder. Um, so the, 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 the smallest club in the league are, are in their first grand final in a decade. And as Vince said, they've earned it without gimmicks. Rather, they've bought in smart, strategic football people and trusted them to make the right decision. So, Willem, um, I think fair play to, to Central Coast, regardless of what happens in the grand final. It's been an incredible turnaround for a club that, um, you know, uh, credit as you did last week to Alan Stadich for setting the, the tone of, of this resurgence and, uh, and Nick Montgomery, the management and the players. Yeah, and Sean Milkamp as well deserves mm-hmm. praise. He's stuck fat through some tough years and he's also quietly, but importantly managed the transition away from Mike Charlesworth, who was fantastic for the club on the championship uh, in the first season as well. But there was always just rumours that he just wouldn't put his hand in his pocket. So you don't want to disparage people who put their money into Australian football because there's not enough of them, but that needed to end. Uh, In bringing in Richard Peel as well, who uh, is the owner slash chair, uh, Monty spoke about him last week as well. So that's been, uh, yeah, important behind the scenes there. And they are firing on all cylinders moving forward. Uh, I really hope they win it. Really, really do. And as I mentioned with Simon in the main show, three grand finals, all brilliant to this point uh, for two losses and a win. So they can square the ledger uh, for, for a size for a side the size of the Mariners to make four grannies across that period uh, Yeah, is, is commendable. And considering where they've been, it's awesome to see them back there. Yeah, and even though they don't deserve it, um, it's only a short drive down from the Central Coast, so they'll have the home crowd support, that's for sure. So um, I'm going to tip a, an upset uh, in, in this one. Derek, uh, your team of the week? It is Luton Town, um, the Hatters, as they're called. And I was wondering when Edge asked earlier on the fact about Luton, is it the fact that this is the hat-making city and therefore uh, the Hatters is the the nickname? We'll have to find out next week whether that's... Uh, true, but nine years ago, uh, they were playing non-league football, four promotions, and they're all the way into the Premier League. Uh, they did it without their captain, who went off in quite um, serious circumstances at the start of the game. Uh, they dominated big parts of it. They had a goal ruled out, they had a penalty denied, cool penalties in the end. Uh, the game obviously finished one all and 6-5 to Luton on the day at Spare some thoughts for uh, Fan Kate Dabo, the uh, the unfortunate Coventry player who hit the ball over the bar and uh, sunk to his knees. Pretty, pretty horrible. But all credit to Rob Edwards, um, the manager. What a story! He was already very highly regarded when he um, went to uh, when he was at Forest Green Rovers. Uh, he went to Watford. Watford discarded him after ten. Matches, which is their once. That's quite a long run in uh, Watford manager. But um, Luton and Watford are big rivals there in the northern, northwestern sort of outer, not suburbs of London. It's way outside, but they are local rivals. And Luton, and we mentioned Southampton earlier, Luton having to replace um, Gaff Brown, Nathan Jones brought Rob Edwards in, gave him another chance, and he's taken them all the way. Uh, They were losers in the... Uh, playoffs last season they've uh, they've managed to do it this season and of course a lot of people are just fascinated by the stadium I know Simon Hill was talking about it earlier and I think you need to just make sure that we focus on the players too because the players and the manager have done an absolutely sick, uh, incredible job but just on Kenilworth Road built in 1905 
capacity of 10,356 people, the well-known entrance to the uh, away section at the Oak Road end. Um, and it will cost about £10 million or $19 million to upgrade the uh, stadium for the top flights. It's the Bobbers stand that is requiring a lot of the work, particularly for media facilities and uh, camera facility, uh, camera positioning. But the £180 million, I think it is, this game, that will certainly go and help them not only make those um, short-term improvements, but big talk of a, of a new shiny um, ground, not dissimilar to the Brentford Community Stadium. Um, uh, but I'm glad they're not moving into that just yet because, you know, can you do it on a wet night at Kenilworth Road is going to be the one. I can't wait for Arsenal to be drawn there on the first Friday night of the season. Rob will be revving it up and telling me how small the pitch is and the torrential rain that's going to be coming in through the side of the grounds and making it a bit of a mess for us. So well done, Luton. I never saw them, never saw them play when, you know, for all the matches that I've been to. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is why the Premier League is special, I suppose, because uh, uh, these these are heady times for such a, a, a little club. My team, gonna, or my game rather, I'm going to drop down a couple of leagues. It is the playoff between uh, Carlisle and Stockport. Uh, the man at the centre of this story is Paul Simpson. Uh, Carlisle were in the Football League for 76 years until 2003, 2004, when they were relegated. Paul Simpson, who at that time was at the back end of a, a long career in the in the lower tiers of English football, was player manager. He took them immediately back up in 2005. Uh, they won League Two in 2005, 2006, uh, and have remained in, or they did remain in League One until 2013-14. Paul Simpson went away, established himself as a manager. He went to Preston North End, Shrewsbury Town, Stockport County, who were the uh, the rivals here, and spent time with the English national team set up as well with the under-20s. He's now gone back to Carlisle. On the day, his son Jake was head of performance at Stockport County, so there were some family ties there, uh, and it is Carlisle in the end, back up into League One. Uh, they went a goal down on 34 minutes. It was an own goal to John James Mellish, uh, but then hit back late in the 83rd minute, I think it was, to Omari Patrick. So they are, Derek, back in League One, noting that they finished fifth in League Two, so they uh, they played the playoff system well. For me, the hot topic has to be the first genuine look we've had at a roadmap to promotion and relegation. I know we talked about this earlier in the week. It's more than a thought bubble from the Australian Professional League, uh, but it's rich in detail and under, as Edge said in the main show, the football hierarchy in Australia, it will need approval from Football Australia. And I know I've already referenced our friend Vince Regari once in this uh, in the show, but I'm going to do it again because he did break the story and credit to him for getting the level of detail on this story because it is to football people in this country, you know, uh, if not the most important discussion point around the evolution of the game and the growth of the game in this country, then it's pretty close to it. So he wrote, the A-League clubs have been presented with a plan to facilitate a system of promotion and eventually relegation, which would see the best clubs from Football Australia's proposed national second division, which we've discussed on the show already, slowly introduced to the top tier. So as Vince goes on to say, the club executives were briefed. It's very similar to the Japan's J-League. According to multiple sources Vince spoke to who are familiar with the discussion, the APL told the clubs they are prepared to admit the strongest teams from the second division into the men's A-League on an ongoing basis. 
provided those clubs were able to satisfy a strict set of criteria to prove their financial stability and other off-field bonavides and demonstrate a capacity for sustained high performance. So we know the APL is determined um, to, to, to get the expansion of the league from 12 to 16 teams going. So obviously we know the first two teams have been announced, Canberra and Auckland, in the 2024-25 season. So the timeline of this is still several years away. And then the, the, the broader expansion into southeast Queensland, Wollongong, Tasmania, before this promotion relegation takes place. But we know the conversation has to take place. It, it does seem to be uh, to be formulating. Um, APL Chief Executive Danny Townsend wouldn't comment for the article, uh, and it appears that they don't want to run interference with the FA's second division discussions right now, which is fair. Uh, they've been criticised a lot, the APL, for some of their decision-making. This is probably one of their better decisions to, to sort of let the story leak out a little bit, but not go too official on it. Um, but ultimately, as we know, Football Australia has got that sole uh, decision-making process for, for this. So watch this space. We'll be covering it in detail on the show whenever more detail comes up. But, um, but Willem, before uh, I throw to Derek to talk about the hot topic that you're going to share, um, it was the, the most detail we've seen for years. Yeah, it looks pretty good. It seems to keep everyone happy. So the current A-League license holders who have those licenses till 2034, except Wellington, I believe, uh, are happy because there's that protection mechanism at the bottom of the second tier uh, as, you, as you sort of flow through the map. So they're happy. The APL are happy because they can continue to target their, their sort of demographics and go with the franchise model. Second tier clubs are happy because they will get sort of fed in um, something of a drip feed, if you like, into the top tier. And that'll be uh, based on uh, football methods, but also they'll need to be sustainable. They'll need to tick a whole bunch of boxes uh, and the A-League clubs will need to basically approve that and say, yeah, that looks sustainable. You, you'd be welcome in the league. Um, and the AAFC, I think Edge was saying that they weren't happy with it, but it's not the Champions League model, which Football Australia continue to sort of hint and, and keep alive as, as a viable option. That's what they're desperate not to see. And it's not that. So that certainly looks like the most constructive and positive uh, and, and productive development we've seen in some time. Yeah, so get on to the Sydney Morning Herald and check out Vince Regari's article for more detail, including some graphics that spell it out pretty clearly. So Derek, um, Ange Postacoglu, um, you know, we, we usually see his name sort of pop up in the gossip columns, but he sort of moved into the sort of front page columns of the, of the credible newspapers as a genuine article uh, and potential um, uh, uh, name for some of the, the mid to top table um, clubs in the Premier League. Um, yeah, where, where are you going to go with this? Well, uh, yeah, the, this, this whole topic actually started when I heard some comments by one of my favourite managers, Jose Mourinho, being interviewed before a, uh, a Roma game. And let's listen to Jose now reflecting on uh, his time at Spurs. The reality is that I hope, I hope the Tottenham fans don't get me wrong, but the only club in my career where I don't have still a deep feeling with is Tottenham. Uh, probably because the stadium was empty, COVID time. Uh, probably uh, because Mr. Levy didn't let me win a final and win a trophy. Lack of connection there, boys. That's what he said. It's the only place where he has no connection with the club. And of course, uh, I'm not one to, you know, uh, to bash up Spurs too much on this show, but they, no. they seem to be having... Uh, some problems with their um, managerial search again, uh, having had the same problems two years ago. The latest blow was Arnie Slot, 
uh, and Feyenoord. Uh, he was their top man, and he now he won't join. Uh, Daniel Levy apparently refusing to pay a twenty million uh, euro fee to uh, to have him released. Um, Nagelsmann doesn't seem too keen. Uh, Potter, Rogers, Zerbi have all been mentioned, although I don't know if there is a lot of like solidity or credibility. And it's history repeating for Tottenham because it was 2021 where they eventually appointed Nuno and they'd more or less done the deal on down Fonseca only to pull his contract from under his nose. Gattuso was in the frame. No one wants to manage Tottenham Hotspur, gents. This is this is the problem. I think it goes back to the question we were asking a few weeks ago. Does uh, Ange want to, does he want to stay in uh, Celtic and win a two-team league and then you know, try and get out of a qualification group for the Champions League and that being dubbed as success? Or does he want to uh, come and manage the shit show at Spurs? Uh, what do you think, Willem? I think there's only two factors here. And you could talk about Conte didn't work, one of the great managers in the world, what's going on. Mourinho didn't work, what's happening. I saw people saying it didn't work with Pochettino. I think it did. I think, you know, here, here or there, they might just have won the, the Champions League. I think the only two factors here are Levy on one side and then... Celtic and the Champions League on the other. I think the pull to stay at Celtic is obviously one more crack at the Champions League. The league is somewhat irrelevant. The, the, you know, the trophies are dime a dozen. Um, but the, one more track at the Champions League to achieve something. I don't think they've been out of the group since 2008, Derek. Uh, he's got his side. They're pretty much all his signings. He's done all that work behind the scenes to mould this side and this club around him. So whether he wants to ride that out for one more year, I think that's the pull towards Celtic. And then the question around Tottenham, the pull is the, the stature of the club. But... Ange is your your Ferguson, your your Wenger, your Guardiola, if you like, your whole of club manager who will not be dictated to or told or, or pushed this way or that in any way, shape or form. He's only going to go somewhere where he has full autonomy. Um, he clearly has that at Celtic. Um, he didn't have that with Australia and decided to leave. Um, so he'll only go somewhere where yeah he's got full control. And if Levy, as we hear, if it's true that he's constantly you know sticking the hand in the pocket or he's you know likes to have a say over, sign this player, do that do whatever, and it just won't go. So if that isn't a concern, he might just take it. I just I just really hope Willem, he doesn't go. I, I don't need that during this podcast. I don't need <laughs> us to suddenly start swinging pro spurs on this uh, podcast. So I really hope uh, he doesn't go. And I think it just says a lot of Levy with this €20 million Euro release clause. He just won't spend the money. That's pretty common now. If you want to get a manager to break their contract at a top European football club, that's the money you have to pay, Daniel. I'm sorry. That's the that, them's are the rules. So uh, I feel like that's um, a lack of ambition, a lack of clarity there from Spurs. I don't know what they're what they're expecting. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm almost hoping they do now because uh, we need a bit of jeopardy in this podcast. Look, we could go on forever and we will if we keep on talking. Uh, Willem, you and I talked about this earlier in the week and we're in lockstep on this particular point. I don't think Angel goes. So uh, um, just uh, strap yourself in for another season at Celtic and somebody else can take the uh, uh, the clown car that is uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Well, boys, uh, well done, Derek. Thank you again, mate. Uh, great, uh, great episode. And um, we will uh, talk again this coming Monday. Thanks, Jeff. Willem.
Thank you. Look, you guys, big Saturday night ahead. FA Cup final in mm-hmm. England into the Scottish Cup final. One at 12, one at 2.30. So that could be Ange's last game as Celtic manager. And if, yes, most certainly, if he can get that result. But I don't think it will be his last. And to Damien Tardio, thanks again for making this show sound as good as it possibly can do. Make sure you subscribe to Box to Box. Stoppage time and offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop. And we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Cup.